0: Hppodcraft.com. The solemn tones of an old cathedral clock have announced midnight. The air is thick and heavy. A strange, death-like stillness pervades all nature. Like the ominous calm which precedes some more than usually terrific outbreak of the elements, they seem to have paused even in their ordinary fluctuations to gather a terrific strength for the great effort. A faint peal of thunder now comes from far off. Like a signal gun for the battle of the winds to begin, it appeared to awaken them from their lethargy, and one awful, warring hurricane swept over a whole city, producing more devastation in the four or five minutes it lasted than would a half century of ordinary phenomena. It was as if some giant had blown upon some toy town, and scattered many of the buildings before the hot blast of his terrific breath. For suddenly as that blast of wind had come, did it cease, and all was as still and calm as before. Jeez, Chad, I wish I brought my umbrella.
1: Because those opening paragraphs are very rainy and stormy.
2: Yeah, they were. And they're from Varney the Vampire by James Malcolm Reimer, and you're listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
1: Here at hppodcraft.com, I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
2: And I'm Chris Lackey, and our reader is one of our favorite Brits, John Hancock. I love that voice. It's
1: good stuff, man. I can't think of a more romantic vampire opening than that. It was a dark and stormy night, basically, right? That was... yeah. Brrm. We're going to get some gothic horror.
2: If you're listening to this show, you are listening to a subscriber-only show, which is ad-free.
1: You don't have to hear us yammer on about anything at all, except this story, which we should jump into right away because it's a really its a good one.
2: This is Varney Vampire, which is actually a whole lot of stories. We're only going to do the first two chapters. Yeah, because this is from the uh, the Penny Dreadfuls. Now, the Penny Dreadfuls was a Victorian serial. It was kind of pulp of the time. Mm-hmm. It sort of started with the industrialization of England. People had a little extra money and people were literate. There were more literate people mm-hmm. than ever before. For a penny, they could get these magazines that would come out. And there was whole like groups of them. Like if you were a young person they're aimed at like young men mm-hmm. not unlike comic books i mean, everything i was reading about the penny dreadful sounded like comic books yeah
1: to me. and this is certainly when you read this prose it's pornography well, you know i mean it's so over the top about everything is just super heightened it's not really uh, he will describe the same thing three times in three subsequent sentences you know what i mean <laughs> it's just like this is definitely just to fill pages and titillate
2: you're throwing the word Pornography around here. It's no. not pornography. It gets a little sexy at times, which is something I'm not used to in this weird fiction stuff.
1: Yeah. Anymore. Did it make you feel odd? Did you give you odd feelings? Oh,
2: nothing odd about it. <laughs>
1: okay. But go ahead. So they're very much like comic books of their day, you're saying?
2: Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there was even talk about how guys with, without enough money, they would chip in. You know, I can't imagine not mm-hmm. having a penny to spare, but obviously a penny was worth way more yeah. than it is now. But they would have reading groups where they would, one dude would buy it one week and then they would share. The, the Penny Dreadful, around ah, with each other.
1: right. These stories, they were serialized. The reason we're only doing a couple episodes is because yes. the, the total of this novel, Varney the Vampire, Feast of Blood, 667,000 uh-huh. words.
2: That's right. It was 220 chapters. This is really the introduction to the whole thing. I mean, it, it's a big soap opera. Lots of different things happen in there. But I thought these first two chapters, and you agree with me, um, just kind of, give you a feeling of them.
1: Friend of the show, Oliver Charlesworth, you
2: know Ollie? I do, actually personally.
1: Yeah, I do too. I met him in Leeds. Well he posted a comment on our last show said, recently finished my nine month slog through Varney, which was well worth it. He read the whole thing. Wow. Very much the dark shadows of the 1850s. Especially as Rhymer like Dan Curtis and Sam Hall didn't seem to have a clue where he was going. <laughs> no. Though through all the long winded prose he was being paid by the word there are many classic scenes and plot lines setting stages for the whole classic genre. So we're going to talk about a little of that. There's a lot of tropes that get introduced in Varney the Vampire that we see all the time now. But very cool that Ollie read the whole thing.
2: That's pretty amazing. And it was not the 50s. It came out in 45 to yes, 47. Yes, 45 to 47. So I'm just, I'm checking you, pal, right oh, now. Oh,
1: dang, you got slapped down.
2: Throwing you a little shade.
1: <laughs> hey, the other, <laughs> the other thing uh, about it. Now, the way that I excerpted, we're actually reading the first chapter and then a part of the second chapter and then a part of the fourth chapter.
2: Oh,
1: that was excised by Alan Ryan, who was the editor of the Penguin Book of Vampire Stories. I've been looking at it as we go through this that I got in the 80s and he unfortunately passed away in 2011. Oh. But he really was a great editor in the 80s of some of these classic. Uh, he did a book called Halloween Horrors. He did a Night Visions book called In the Blood. And he did a book called Haunting Women, which is all uh, horror stories written by women. And they're all really good collections. And they're the kind of things that you find in your public library when you're young because right. they, they gets you interested. I mean, the Penguin book was one of the seminal things for me to get educated on all these vampire books. So, right. Too bad that he passed away. I do want to say this, that he wrote a book called Panther. <laughs> exclamation point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In
1: 1981, which is a, a, apparently about a panther that terrorizes New York. So. Uh, I'm going to put the cover of that book in our show notes because it's hysterical. It's just like a woman <laughs> laying down on the ground in a panther looking at
2: her. <laughs> what more do you need?
1: Yeah, you really don't need much more. So let's, uh, let's just go ahead and get into the story.
2: There's a storm that's hit. It's really powerful. Lots of lightning. We zoom in to this old Gothic style mansion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's this buxom blonde woman sleeping in bed. Like you said, this is when the
0: descriptions kind of get
2: a little s- saucy yeah.
0: and a bit creepy. Oh, what a world of witchery was in that mouth, slightly parted and exhibiting within the pearly teeth that glistened even in the faint light that came from that bay window. How sweetly the long silken eyelashes lay upon the cheek. Now she moves, and one shoulder is entirely visible. Whiter, fairer than the spotless clothing of the bed on which she lies is the smooth skin of that fair creature, just budding into womanhood. And in that transition state which presents to us all the charms of the girl, almost of the child, with the more matured beauty and gentleness of advancing years. How old is she supposed to be?
1: I think whatever makes it legal in your head. (laughs) (laughs) You know? That's why I didn't say so it. Just, it just depends what state or country you live in.
2: Uh-huh. Okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> it is creepy, but the, it goes on for paragraphs about how beautiful this girl is. And her hair is laying across the bedclothes, and you can see the shoulder and, you know, mm, get you hot. Yeah. This is what a vampire story is all about, man. Exa- yeah, exactly. You got to lay the table before somebody comes in to eat. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey. So there's this crazy peal of thunder that wakes her up. It's so loud that she jumps and is startled out of bed. From one of these strikes of lightning, a mill caught fire, Ah, yes. so there's this light coming in from outside and she sees the silhouette of a man at the window and he's got long fingernails and he's like messing with it and she's freaked out and doesn't know what to do and then there's this another peal of explosion and then she hears all this wind and the storm's going but then the storm subsides and she still hears that that sound which sounds like hail hitting the window but then when the light comes in again she sees that it's not actually hailing it's his fingernails tapping on the glass trying to find a way in pretty creepy
1: left a huge impression on me you hear this tapping at the window pane and then when the light comes up you see it's fingernails of this creature really cool idea it's very cinematic
2: so she's freaked out but she's so freaked out she can't scream she can't move she just kind of goes help help help
1: i know that feeling you're so scared and you know that 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 paralysis of the nightmare i can barely speak i'm so scared
2: yeah i've never felt that (laughs) whatever the creature's tapping around this person i should say creature this figure is tapping Mm -hmm. around on the glass busts through one of the panes because it's one of those old style paned windows mm-hmm. reaches in unlatches the window and comes into the room yeah, it's so is-
1: non-vampire by the way he busted out a pane and then reached in and unlock it that's like joe pesci in home alone that's not uh <laughs> you know it just doesn't seem it seems like a vampire should put his hands up and then the doors just open you know right for him to be like i got it and he's like messing with the latch with this long fingernails
2: but dude, he's the, here's the thing, he's a vampire, he's not a Jedi. I know, you're right. He's, he's super strong, he's super fast, he can maybe hypnotize some people, but telekinesis is not in there. <laughs> it's not one of the powers. Not yet. So anyway, he breaks into the room, and this is this is a pretty cool
0: description here. The figure turns half round, and the light falls upon the face. It is perfectly white, perfectly bloodless. The eyes look like polished tin, the lips are drawn back. And the principal feature next to those dreadful eyes is the teeth. The fearful-looking teeth, projecting like those of some wild animal, hideously, glaringly white and fang-like. It approaches the bed with a strange, gliding movement. It clashes together the long nails that literally appear to hang from the finger ends. No sound comes from its lips. Is she going mad, that young and beautiful girl exposed so much terror? She's drawn up all her limbs. She cannot even now say, help. The power of articulation is gone, but the power of movement has returned to her. She can draw herself slowly along to the other side of the bed, from that towards which the hideous appearance is coming.
2: (laughs) What I love about that reading is that young and beautiful girl exposed... To so much terror. <laughs> There's a lot of the wording in this story is like that.
1: Yeah, it's good stuff.
2: Man, I got to admit, I totally enjoy it. I really enjoy it, man. It's I'm, kind of a guilty pleasure.
1: I'm not guilty about it at all. <laughs> I'm proud. It's a proud pleasure for me.
2: <laughs> so she's paralyzed with fear. She can't move from her bed and he glides across the floor. And she's, mm-hmm. As he comes to the bed and, and sits on it, she begins to kind of scoot away almost unconsciously. And she's, but she still can't scream. Yeah. And as she's moving across the bed, kind of scooting back, her long hair is sort of splayed. The blonde locks are across the bed and sort of this very flowery description of the, of the way the blankets and their hair is all sort of twisted around and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And as she scoots away, he grabs her by the hair. He grabs that hair that's on the bed. And that point she starts screaming. Yeah. That breaks the spell. She's, you know, like, Whoa! Don't touch my hair! <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's got a weave, man. That's what she's upset about. Uh, that's a,
2: Of course. That hurts. Those things are expensive, dude. Yeah. That's what it's about, And You I don't know, have to it's... repay to get that stuff fixed. No way. So she is
0: really upset about her weave, and she's screaming. <laughs> Shriek followed Shriek in rapid succession. The bedclothes fell in a heap by the side of the bed. She was dragged by her long silken hair completely onto it again. Her beautifully rounded limbs quivered with the agony of her soul. The glassy, horrible eyes of the figure ran over that angelic form with a hideous satisfaction. Horrible profanation. He drags her head to the bed's edge. He forces it back by the long hair still entwined in his grasp. With a plunge, he seizes her neck in his fang-like teeth. A gush of blood and a hideous sucking noise follows. The girl has swooned, and the vampire is at his hideous repast
1: whoa yeah and hey you know since we've been post lovecraft weird fiction i don't think yeah. we've been treated to an italicized last sentence like
2: that. oh yeah
1: it's time
2: thank you thank you for that, at- that italization
1: thank you malcolm jamal warner for writing this great <laughs> story and for italicizing your words
2: james malcolm reimer is his name
1: Uh, Sure it is. Okay. So that was the end of this uh, first chapter.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So now we we cut into this. It's the same house, and there are these people running to her aid. Uh, Her mother, her two brothers, Henry and George, and the stranger, Marchdale, this guy that he's called a stranger. Eventually, we know he's Marchdale. We also get her name, which is Flora. Flora. They get to the door, but it's barred. They can't get in. They're they're trying to pry it open.
1: They're getting light into the place from the mill. Yes which is burning out there. It's really, uh, again, cinematic, beautiful. There's this burning mill in the background This whole this whole scene.
2: They finally bust in, and Henry looks in with his candle. He comes into the room to see what's going on, and then a figure from the bed slams into him, knocks him down on the floor, and the candle flies down, and the, the figure moves past him to the window. When he goes past, they saw that this guy's face had blood on his mouth.
1: Yeah, it says the lower part of his face and his lips are dabbled in blood. And that he's got these uh, shining metallic eyes yeah. that have this ferocity in them. So it's, it's it's that kind of light hits just those parts. They see the blood in the eyes. It's a pretty creepy, creepy scene.
2: It's good. It's good. So this guy, Marchdale, who's a bit older, tells Henry, you know, get down. And he shoots the monster who's now at the window. Mm-hmm. The shot doesn't affect him at all. It's as if he missed, but he's pretty sure that he got him. Yeah. So Marchdale is going to run and just try and grab this guy. I don't know why you would do this if because he's a man this
1: is Marchdale we're talking about he knows something of the world yeah He's,
2: yeah, he's been around so he grabs him turns the perpetrator around and this is what we see that face was one never to be
0: forgotten it was hideously flushed with color the color of fresh blood the eyes had a savage and remarkable luster whereas before they had looked like polished tin they now wore a ten times brighter aspect and flashes of light seemed to dart from them The mouth was open, as if, from the natural formation of the countenance, the lips receded much from the large, canine-looking teeth. A strange howling noise came from the throat of this monstrous figure, and it seemed upon the point of rushing upon Mr. Marchdale. Suddenly then, as if some impulse had seized upon it, it uttered a wild and terrible shrieking kind of laugh, and then, turning, dashed through the window, and in one instant disappeared from before the eyes of those who felt nearly annihilated by its fearful presence. God help us, ejaculated Henry.
1: Pretty dramatic vision of the vampire here. Now in
2: in this, in, in your Penguin Classics. Uh, yes,
1: this is where they stopped it mm-hmm. in this chapter. Totally excised the third chapter and then picks it up in the uh, in chapter four. Basically they give a quick description or Our friend uh, Alan Ryan gives a description where he says they give chase to the vampire. Henry fires his pistol and hits him, but the monster still escapes, leaving no trace of bloodstains from a wound. So even though they're pretty sure they nailed him, no blood. Henry watches all night by the bedside of Flora, whose neck displays two bloody bite marks. So this is the first time we've seen that in vampire fiction. Mm -hmm. She sleeps pretty restlessly and she cries out when she wakes up and gives a confused account of the attack. So after this all happens, Henry goes to take counsel with Marchdale. So that's where we pick right. it up.
2: Now, uh, Chad. Yeah. We haven't done this since the White Wolf.
1: You mean a dramatic
2: reading? We did it. We're going to do a dramatic reading because there's a lot of dialogue here. Yes. And I think that this dialogue lends itself to being read aloud. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Chad, if you would, yeah. please play the part of Marchdale. Okay. The sophisticated older gentleman. And yes, I will play yes. the part of Henry, the sort of young, more naive fellow.
1: Okay. Okay. Flora is awake, I presume?
2: Yes, but her mind appears to be much disturbed.
1: From bodily weakness, I dare say.
2: But why would she be bodily weak? She was strong and well, I, as well as she could ever be in all her life. The glow of youth and health was on her cheeks. Is it possible that in the course of one night, she should become bodily weak to such an extent? Henry, sit down.
1: I am not, as you know, a superstitious man.
2: You certainly are not.
1: And yet, I never in all my life was so absolutely staggered as I have been by the occurrences of tonight. Say on. There is a frightful, a hideous solution of them, one which every consideration will tend to add strength to, one which I tremble to name now, although yesterday, at this hour, I should have laughed it to scorn. Indeed. Yes, it is so. Tell no one. That which I am about to say to you. Let the dreadful suggestion remain with ourselves alone, Henry Bannerworth.
2: I... I am lost in wonder. You promise me? But what? That you
1: will not repeat my opinion to anyone. I do. On your honor. On my honor, I promise. Henry, have you never heard of a strange and dreadful superstition which in some countries is extremely rife, by which it is supposed that there are beings who never die? Never die? Never! In a word, Henry, have you never heard of... of... I dread to pronounce
2: the word. Speak it, God in heaven, let me hear it!
1: A vampire.
2: A vampire? Even so.
1: One who has to renew a dreadful existence by human blood. One who lives on forever and must keep up such a fearful existence upon human gore. One who eats not and drinks not as other men. A vampire.
0: Ooh.
1: i could echo that groan but that i am so thoroughly bewildered i know not what to think good god good god <laughs> <laughs> and scene and scene and story that's as far as we're planning to go into yeah. uh varney i kind of do want to read the whole thing you know what i got from uh marvel comics a while ago i got the uh Tomb of Dracula, omnibus thing. You know how oh, they right. published them mm-hmm. in black and white? Yep, yep. I read all of those Dracula comics. They're so imaginative, actually. Really? There's a lot of really good writing that happens in them. I could see, as you were relating to this comic books before, I could see sitting down and maybe just reading through a chapter of this at a time over a couple of years. Yeah. Could be pretty entertaining.
2: It could be fun, yeah, to, especially if you do a chapter a week, which is, I guess, how often they came out.
1: So you hadn't read this before?
2: No, no, I've never read. I've heard of it before. I always thought it was kind of comical. Or mm-hmm. I always thought it was a comical because Varney sounds silly to me because it's kind of an antiquated name, but mm-hmm. it's not funny intentionally. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's, we're we're having a little fun with it, but it's just the style of the period that we're yeah. having having fun with.
1: The interesting thing is that so in this these little scenes that we read here, Varney mm-hmm. is definitely a monster, but as the book goes on, you start to realize that he's kind of a self hating monster yeah he doesn't want to be a vampire and also it gets conf- it's inconsistent this book so sometimes it seems he's definitely a literally i mean as we just read a blood-sucking vampire yeah. but sometimes he's more of a human who just has vampiric tendencies right and then i think he eventually kills himself
2: like like you were saying they they build up the sympathy towards him to make him feel like he's more of somebody that's cursed and that you you want him to to find rest or peace or whatever. Right. And he kills himself in a very dramatic way. He throws himself into Mount Vesuvius.
1: Yeah, I was looking at the site that uh, was, it's uh, TVTropes.org, and it had examples of tropes that were introduced or at least used in Varney the Vampire. Mm-hmm. Lots of good ones here. All Girls Want Bad Boys, a trope we have seen a lot of literature and television, and that's uh, yeah. apparently at some point somebody hooks up with Varney because he's a bad boy and they like it. So Breaking and Blood Sucking, which is what we just read. Basically, Varney breaking into the bedroom while she's laying there and drinking her blood. I mean, if you think about vampire movies, that's how they always present. Yeah, It's Bella Lugosi creeping over her or Uh, uh, Nosferatu, the same thing.
2: Salem's Lot.
1: Burn the Witch. This happens at some point in the book. The uh, the local villagers attempt to do this to Varney. They tie him up and they want to set him on fire. (laughs) Chuck Cunningham Syndrome. At the beginning of the novel, the Bannerworth family has three children, Henry, Flora, and George, but George is never mentioned again <laughs> after chapter 36.
2: <laughs> Poor George.
1: So George just disappears for no reason. Daywalking Vampire, vampires. So Varney, no, uh, he can be around during the day, no problem at all. Yeah. There's a lot of duels in this book, apparently. I think later when they, I think they rescue Varney, actually, because when he's being burned, they think that's a dishonorable way to get rid of him. He should die in a duel. <laughs> that's an honorable way to do it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Fangs? Varney? First fictional vampire to have fangs. Now, we mentioned that last week that there were no fangs presented in the vampire. So here's the first time we see him.
2: And they leave the two white marks, the two little holes, which is a staple no pun intended, of vampire stuff. I mean, like even in uh, Adventure Time, uh, Marceline, she has those two little puncture marks on she the does, side of her yeah. neck. Yeah. So it's just like, that is one of the things that's from this that has stuck around for over 150 years and is still used. It's I know. amazing.
1: Varney doesn't drink wine in the book. And that's a clue <laughs> early on that he's a vampire. So the, I don't
2: drink wine. Yeah. And this was obviously predates again. Dracula. (laughs) This
1: one I don't get because I haven't read the book. It says Insane Admiral. Is that a a trope? Admiral Bell, while protective of his family and a generally decent guy, acts like a complete lunatic in most situations.
2: Yeah, I don't know about that.
1: Uh, Apparently there's a lesbian vampire in here. Varney at one point turns Clara Crompton into a vampire and she only sucks on the ladies. So She prefers the female victims. The spelling in the book changes of vampire, how we, you know, your vampire diaries spelling that we have now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then what we had in the last story, which was with the Y, Mm -hmm. this was a new word, really, for English at the time. And so it really didn't have an established spelling. So you could spell it however you wanted to. So now we see it as vampire. But then it was a, this was a brand new word at the time. Real quick, I'm going to say what we're going to do next week and then I just want to ask you some general vampire questions Okay. since it's a marches for Dracula's. I would love to cover the book Dracula. We can't do that because it's just too darn long. But there was a story or a, a section of it that was excised in the publication that was republished after Bram Stoker's death and it's called Dracula's Guest. Right. Uh, I think let's cover that next week so that we can at least talk about Dracula, actually have a Dracula on the show. Sure, yeah. And, and discuss Bram Stoker and his legacy. So, for next week, we're going to do Dracula's Guest. A lot of people are familiar with that. And you know, one thing that's come up a lot as we've been covering this, and we refer to Dracula a lot, is a lot of people don't like this book.
2: Don't like Dracula?
1: Yeah. Now, I love it, but a lot of that might have to do with the fact that I read it when I was so young. Right. But a lot of people who are picking it up as adults are saying it's so boring and so overdone and blah, 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 blah. Wow. They just don't like it. I'm getting emails about that all the time. Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't read it since I was
2: that age yeah neither have I so maybe maybe it's not as good
1: you told me what your top werewolf movies were oh shit, dude. I'm putting you on the spot I didn't let you make a list Throwing down right now favorite vampire movies
2: Fright Night Fright Night Dracula Bella Ghosty.
1: a lot of people don't like that movie either they say it's kind of slow do you now if you watch it do you watch it with the uh, Philip Glass score no if you get the one that was re-released in the last 10 years Philip Glass recorded a score with the Kronos Quartet for the movie. Oh, right. Yes. Uh And if you watch it with that score, it actually picks up the pace of it quite a bit. And it's a really cool score.
2: Did you like the remake of Fright Night? It was okay. Yeah, it was just okay. It was another vampire movie. There was nothing special about it to me.
1: I thought it was interesting. Most remakes just straight up do a movie. And I thought they did some interesting
2: things with the material.
1: If you were familiar with the 80s movie, it was interesting to watch because they kind of inverted the characters of Evil Ed and Charlie a little bit.
2: Right. So go ahead. I liked, obviously, Near Dark which is one of my favorite vampire oh, movies. yes, And yes. this is probably going to make some people angry, but Interview with a Vampire. Why would that? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I thought it was me, a great movie. And Neil Jordan? That's something we need to talk about. I don't know if we're going to talk about it now, but The Vampire Chronicles was extremely influential on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. And I mean, I, I, I hate those books up Well, the first two, maybe three books I kind of lost... I got a little... I lost interest with Queen of the Damned. That's where I kind of dropped off.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's when it starts getting a little ludicrous. But I found the vampire Lestat. My dad would go to this place called Paperback Traders. He was a voracious reader, but he liked like spy novels and right. that kind of thing. So he would read every night, and then he'd take his book, and he'd give it to them at Paperback Traders, and they'd fill it up with a bunch of other books and just give it back to him. He didn't even look at what the titles were. He just liked to read. It was kind of an interesting thing about him. Wow. So in our garage, we had these boxes of paperbacks and the ones that he didn't read would just kind of get thrown into other boxes for him to take back and I found the vampire stat out there I cannot imagine my father reading this book
2: yeah no, <laughs> you know? way.
1: no way but I found it out there hmm, what's this it had a red cover it looked kind of interesting it was the door stoppers big book right and I brought it in I think I was in seventh or eighth grade and I opened that and I was done for I loved it so much
2: yeah they're pretty good they're pretty cool and very rock star, and then of course those those books have influenced so much stuff that has come after it. Yeah. What about you, Pfeiffer? For for movies?
1: Well, for movies, you said Fright Night. I would. Uh, I, that's also been a big one for me. But around that same time, I think I had them on the same videotape together that I would watch over and over. Was the Lost Boys?
2: Oh, of course, Lost
1: Boys. Of course, which just has that. You know, you wanted to be in that gang. You know, yeah. I, <laughs> I had a poster of that in my bedroom. It's pretty dated. Oh, it's super dated. The saxophone guy alone, you know. <laughs> I
0: still believe
1: do, 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 the guy with the shirt off and the saxophone. Yeah, he's become his own his own genre, kind of. You know. Yeah, let's
2: go down to the pier and see that big muscly <laughs> dude play the saxophone. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's just like uh, the Corries in that movie are are just ridiculous because I thought they were so cool and that they were into comic books in that mm-hmm. movie and then watching it now just like it's so unbelievable like the conversations that they're having no kids talk like that <laughs> no no yeah no you know what I mean and the things that they're saying and talking about a, a, an issue of Batman that he's got and it's like no right. way does that kid have that Batman <laughs>
1: no I like Corey Hames rocking that like floor length jacket what is that all right. you know what yeah, I'm talking exactly. about <laughs> but yeah. you know what even for all of the dated stuff it's still a good movie it's still solid yeah and the ending is still great. Great uh, People Are Strange covered by Echo and the Bunnymen. To end yeah, that movie. it's outstanding. The soundtrack's really good. Some good in excess stuff in there. So I'd I, I say that's a really good one. Um, <laughs> Let me see Somebody had mentioned in our show notes, and we've talked about it before, but the old, early talky movie Vampire.
2: Which was very creepy, and it reminded me of... The, the protagonist of that movie looks like H.P. Lovecraft.
1: He looks like H.P. Lovecraft, right?
2: <laughs> Which is pretty crazy.
1: You know, a lot of people tried to push... The hunger on me
2: when I was younger
1: and I just never could
2: get into it. Never got into it.
1: It's got a Bauhaus in the beginning of it, I believe. Yeah. Which is cool. I like Bauhaus, but... Now, Nosferatu obviously we've already discussed on Right. The show, but that did, even for being a movie made in 1922, it scared me so bad. I, that scary. was the first uh, time I remember seeing Dawn because I couldn't sleep. I was so scared of Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's a potent movie. You know, that's a really amazing... Makeup effect, yeah. yeah, yeah, and every everything
2: about it—the way it's filmed, the way it's lit—is really creepy. Uh, I'll bring it up again, even though a lot of people disagree with me. Underworld,
1: yeah, I can't. I'm not a big I Underworld. Fan.
2: I know that's fine. That's I get it let the right one in I love that one.
1: Oh yeah fantastic the Swedish one I don't know why they yeah I, didn't,
2: I don't know why. I never saw the remake but of yeah. course I loved Salem's Lot was really good if you would count that as a movie
1: the miniseries they did for TV that was really cool yeah I liked Daybreakers recently that's one that people disagree with me on that Ethan Hawke movie Daybreakers did you see that
2: oh yeah
1: yeah nobody seemed to care for it much but no. I, I thought it was cool
2: I do like Blade I have to say that I have a soft spot in my heart for the first one
1: I like the one that Tracy Lords is in which one is that is that's the, the first, first one? one she's a friend of the show friend of the show. All right. Well, we're going to be back with Dracula's guest next week. Varney the Vampire, guys, if you want to dig into it, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. Yeah, uh, there's a
2: lot of Varney to read. Make sure people understand that we're covering the story Dracula's guest, not that Dracula will be a guest on our next episode. (laughs) Don't get your hopes up. Yeah, we don't
1: want to lose. I can't listen to that. I just disagree with most of the things that Dracula does. I'm not going to support that. Well, we'll be back with more uh, Marches for Dracula's next week. I am Chad Pfeiffer.
2: I am Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft, literary podcast.
1: At hppodcast.com.